I'm Billy Branham. Welcome to Closer Look. Old sitcoms always show the husband coming home after work to a stay-at-home wife, clean house, folded laundry, dinner ready, completely outdated by modern standards. Or is it? Some families are choosing that lifestyle again, though nowadays it could be mom working and dad staying home. But why just one breadwinner? Can families today live a quality life off of one income? I'm joined by award-winning, best-selling author, Mary Hunt. Mary has spoken to thousands about how to live within your means. She's also written more than a dozen books on the topic. Thank you so much, Mary, for the time to talk today. I appreciate it. So nice to be with you. Can families these days live off of one income? Uh, first of all, you know, when we speak income, that could be from $10,000 to $10 million. We have to kind of define and hope that people understand that income is such a very, very broad topic. Can a family exist in America where only one person is working and bringing home a regular paycheck? The answer is yes. Absolutely, yes. Even though someone loses a paycheck through a layoff, because not only will you be able to live on a single income, you'll find yourself starting to save and plan and have an emergency fund and find ways that you can, you can live way below your means without sacrificing the joy of, of life and living that you so desperately want but with a lot of conditions and a lot of background and a lot of guidance and maybe even changing our attitudes a bit. We, we live in a, in a culture that I would call an in, a two-income world. And so a family wanting to be a one-income family in a two-income world is challenging. But here's the good news. Yes, yes, you can do this. And I'd love to help guide you. Some families might be having some doubts on that. Me especially. I'm a single mom. I have a couple of kids. How's a family of four, five, six going to survive off of one income? We have to have a plan. We have to get down into the nitty gritty and see how that is possible. It starts with attitude. Uh, You know, does a family really want to do that? Are they willing to do the very, very hard work? Because I can tell you that as a single parent, our society and our our culture is not geared to make it possible for you. Daycare, oh my goodness, that can suck up and eat up a complete paycheck for two parents who are working. They just don't realize it, it, it can be done and there are myriad resources and ways to do that. It, it's a matter of being diligent and willing to do the very, very hard work. I, I would say that a family that is currently living as probably 99% of American families are living. It's hard because you've fallen into debt. You've fallen in, I don't mean you personally, but uh, just generally speaking, our society is now geared because of the banking industry and because of the way that credit cards and living beyond our means has become the normal way of life. It's like swimming upstream to hold back the the pull of the culture and what the culture wants us to do. And so it may not be able to happen overnight. I can teach any family how to do this if they're willing to listen and willing to do the hard work. What are some easy, quick tips to get maybe a family started who's decided to go and live off of one single income? The very first thing is to live on cash. And now I know that sounds, oh, we couldn't possibly do that. What I mean is, is not the way you pay the mortgage or the car payment or things that you must send in the mail. 
But we have to get away from the lie that the credit card industry has told us. It's not safe to live with cash. It's not safe to carry cash. It's not, pay, it's not safe to pay for your groceries with cash. Well, let me tell you something. That is a lie. <laughs> because what they're trying to do is to get you to start depending on plastic. And eventually you will fall into debt if you do not watch and walk a very, very careful path. So I would say the very first thing, if I was coaching a family of any size, two parents, one parent, one income, two incomes. Go on what I would call seven-day cash diet. What that means is that right now you're going to gather up all the plastic, debit cards, credit cards, all of it. You're going to put them away into a safe place. You're not going to cut them off. You just put them away. And you're going to decide how much money do we need tomorrow to get through the day. And all of a sudden you start thinking, well, I, I don't know, because most of us live kind of Casually, like we get gas and the gas tank's empty. We buy groceries and there's nothing to eat. We don't plan ahead. So we don't know. Let's say that you're going to need to put gas in the car tomorrow. I'm talking about walking around money. I'm not talking about paying your utilities. But you go to the ATM or to your stash or wherever you have cash. A lot of people don't even live with cash, which is just heartbreaking. Because that is the best way to pull in the reins and to start living and managing your money in a reasoned way. So let's say that you think you're going to need $20 tomorrow to get through the day. You're going to have to go find it somewhere because you are committed to seven days cash only. Not only knock your socks off, it's going to change the way you think and live. You're going to think ahead. Oh, oh, I'm on my way to work. Oh, no. Let's see. Do I have money for, for coffee that I usually swipe the debit card and so on? Do it for seven days and see what happens. But do one more thing. Write down exactly how you spend the money. I'm telling you, if you take $75 cash into the grocery store, you're going to become a completely different kind of shopper. All of a sudden, you're looking at prices. You're looking at sizes. You're looking at brands. You're looking at what's on sale. How can you get by with two pounds of potatoes instead of five pounds? Or, you know, maybe you don't really need to buy toilet tissue this round because you've got it at home. You're so aware that you have $75 you cannot go over. Because what would you do? You'd be embarrassed at the checkout. They wouldn't let you leave until you pay for your groceries. It, it is a wake-up call that I would say every person, family listening to me right now needs, needs to do that practice just to see how it feels. That is really the first step. Because now what you're doing without even realizing it, you're creating a budget. And I know it's a word people hate. Oh my goodness, I hated that word so much. Believe me, I've been where I'm speaking of here. I got out of debt. I ran up horrible, horrible debt that nearly nearly lost our home, lost my family, lost everything. We didn't because we had a wake-up call, and we did pay it back eventually. But oh my goodness, what I've learned from that, from that journey. Great tips. I'm Billy Branham. This is Closer Look, talking with best-selling author Mary Hunt about families living on one single income. Decades ago, it was kind of the norm to live off of one income. But now, especially with COVID, how has that played a role in some families deciding that one parent should stay home full-time? I'm going to give you another exercise that will kind of point this out. And I call this, what is the real hourly wage of that second income? Now, culturally, not always, and it's changing. But most of the time, it's the, it's the dad who goes to work and it's the mom who wants to stay home and maybe is staying home now, maybe not, maybe working and going, wow, I don't know how we can live without that second income, that second paycheck. Well, let me help you with a little exercise. Let's see how much you're really making. 
First of all, for a full month, figure out what is the net income, net take-home pay. That means the check you get in your hand or what goes into your bank account. And if, if you get paid weekly, you know, change it to monthly. You know, it's before paychecks or however it is. You can figure this out. But you need to come up with your average monthly net income on that second check, okay? Now, write down that figure, that number. Now, figure out how much it costs you to get there. Uh, a lot of people are working from home. That That's going to change. People are going to have to go back. And there's gas. There's parking. During the time you're away from home, what are you spending on lunch? How about those baby showers and the office pools and all of the expenses that go into a working that are going to cost? Deduct that amount from your take-home pay. You're going to be shocked when you think about it, but just a minute. Hold on. We haven't reached the bottom line yet. Now, figure out what mom is paying others to do because she has to work. And I'm talking about fast food, restaurants, drive throughs because you're so tired to get home from work and there's nothing to eat and the kids are hungry and all of that kind of thing. What about daycare? What about the cost of caring for the children because mom is at work? We're going to deduct all of those expenses now from that take-home pay. Let's, let's think of some other things. Are you paying someone to clean the house once in a while because you work? Are you paying a yard care? Are you paying a pool service? Are you paying someone to shovel the snow because everyone's away from home? And those things need to be done. Deduct all of those things from that, from that number you're working on. Once you get all the way to the bottom, you've deducted everything there is. The number looks pretty pitiful. Now, I want you to add up the number of hours it takes mom to come up with that amount of money. You know, it's, it's the drive to work. It's all of those hours away from home. Divide that into that net income that you've come up with. You're going to be absolutely shocked. I've had it, you know, $1.22 an hour. I've even seen where it comes out a negative number because no one has sat down to figure out as a receptionist or as an entry clerk in a hospital or some other job that seems like it's bringing home and adding to the income is actually, actually costing money plus pushing that family into a higher tax bracket because uh, Uncle Sam doesn't let us deduct all of those kinds of things. So that's the first step is to find out what, you know, what is the bottom line? What is the real hourly wage of that second income? Now that we've done that exercise, the next exercise is pretty fun, I think. And what would that be? That is to decide how many things, because uh, mom's going to stay home now, all the things that she's going to be able to do, the family won't hire to hire others to do. Childcare, the housework, yard work. There's so much. Yeah. Don't think that because mom gets to stay home, it's uh, bonbons and soap operas all day. Because she's going to take on the task and the work of a second income without paying all of the expenses that come with it. And it's cooking at home. It's learning how to grocery shop so that you are frugal. You're getting great food, but you're not paying for it. You are paying half for it. In fact, I've even written a book. The title is Live Your Life for Half the Price. It's how we can approach everything in our lives that we pay for that stop paying full price. So all of these kinds of tactics combined may not be something you can do overnight, but it's a path, it's a plan that you can get onto where you are able to really live a two-income lifestyle on a one-income reality. 
This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham. Mary Hunt is an award-winning author of more than a dozen books on finances. Today, we're discussing families living on a single income. I want to really touch on this because whether it's mom or dad that stays home or one that goes to work, what is the mental and emotional toll single income families face? Yeah, you know, there's especially for a situation where there are two professionals in the family and one decides to leave the career, maybe temporarily, while the children are home, while their daycare needs and that kind of thing. It is. I mean, I've, I've been there. And the problem is that sometimes we put way too much of our identity, uh, we base that on what we do for a job. And that it's something we, it's easy to work through, but you've just got to think about it and to realize it's maybe temporary or it's just a new look at the way we're going to do this. It's parents sacrificing. There's no, there's no doubt about it that when we choose to have children, there, there is a sacrifice involved. We can't come close to the joy that we have as parents, but we need to realize that these, these changes that we make don't change who we are. If anything, they expand who we are and expand our world and our joy. So you can't do this overnight. Sometimes this needs to be done in steps. Sometimes parents need to go through a whole process of deciding who's going to be the one who who gives up the formal income to stay home in order to make that one income stretch twice as far because that's exactly what's going to have to happen. Now, we could get into a whole long discussion about debt. A lot of families feel they could not possibly do this because that second income is going solely to pay for credit card bills and all of that debt hanging over their heads. There might be student loans. There might be other kinds of debt that for a moment, for a season, are going to prevent making this huge leap. But it can be done by first paying off those credit card bills which means you're going to have to stop using the credit cards. Yeah, you heard me right. You have to stop using them. And it's a habit. Sometimes it's so deeply ingrained that families, individuals cannot even see their way clear to do that because they've almost got themselves wrapped up in some kind of a Ponzi scheme where their money they're earning this week is going to pay for all the stuff they bought last week or the week before or the months before that. And so it, don't get discouraged if you cannot do this uh, immediately, like turn in your resignation tomorrow morning. You've got to get a plan. You've got to get a plan for how you're going to do this. This may be short-term discomfort in order to achieve a longer-term joy and ability for the, for one parent to be home with the kids. But it can be done. It's possible as well that that stay home a person giving up that formal income can find a way to bring in money on the side through hobbies, through perhaps as long as you're taking care of your babies, maybe you could add another where someone's now paying you daycare instead of you paying that out. I mean, these are all kinds of ideas that that families have used in order to live on a single income. Others have had to make big decisions that involve moving selling the home they have now, moving to lower cost of living area. That works if you're going from a state or an area where the housing prices are high, moving to an area where they're much lower. If you're already in that lower area, you know, then you need to think of other ways. But is it ideal? Is it what they would have chosen in the first place? Maybe not. But I can tell you that the choices we make that lead us into horrible debt 
they're not always comfortable. But sometimes we have to do the more difficult thing in order to get out of the terrible pit of despair, which was what I would call it when you're deeply in debt, when you're living so far beyond your means that you feel like you have gotten dumped into the deep end of the ocean. How can people save for retirement when there's just one earner? Is that even possible? Most of us think, well, saving for retirement means Retirement means that I'm taking $2,000 out of my paycheck every month and putting it into a high-yield investment account and our retirement 401k, SEP, IRA. There are all kinds of them, but we need to change. We need to open our eyes and stretch our horizons for what it means to save for retirement. You know, owning a home or buying a home is, is one of the best ways to do that. Because typically in America, homes do appreciate over time. And I know many people who have retired where the value of their home, it's all paid off. You know, sometimes a home can be worth close to a million dollars. And they are able to use different kinds of financial tools to use that equity that becomes the retirement. There are so many ways. But I'll tell you what, if you're deeply in debt and paying out every single penny you make every month, there's no way that you will be able to plan ahead in that way. That's why we've got to get we've got to get this thing turned around so that you're not spending all that you earn, so that you're not living in debt and you're able to save. I don't want to minimize at all a 401k plan or employee sponsored retirement plan that many, many companies do have. The plan I would see is that the man, the woman, whoever is the one income earner is participating fully in whatever the employer has available for them. For that one wage earner, I think they should always have their eyes open looking. And if it takes moving employers and to get a better retirement plan, that's a wonderful thing. Start when you're young, as soon as you start working in that company and make sure that as you are going through life, as you are planning to buy a home, as you are looking at your future and all, that you're not dipping into that retirement plan. The retirement plan that is available to the one wage earner should be used to its fullest. Then the family needs to stay, get out of debt and stay out of debt. And then they need to, to move to a place where they could possibly buy a home that will appreciate that they will be able to pay off and that will also add to the retirement. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham. Author Mary Hunt is joining me. Mary has written and spoken to thousands about living well within your earned income. Today, we're talking about families making a single income work for them. But what are we also teaching our kids about their potential earnings in the future and how to live off of a single income? Kids need to, in my opinion, need to be children. They don't need to carry financial woes. They don't need to hear about the mortgage payment and and how close things are and we're all out of money and we can't afford anything. I don't want kids growing up in that kind of an environment. What I want is for kids to know that their parents are good money managers. Because how much more beneficial is it to children to hear this instead of hearing, oh, you can't do that because we can't afford it. Oh, we can't go on a vacation because we can't afford it. Oh, you can't go to college because we can't afford it. I mean, that is a bummer for kids. Growing up feeling you're poor and if only daddy had more money, we'd be, we would be happy. That's, that's a terrible way. But we can turn that around simply by saying, well, we're not going to do that because we don't choose to spend our money that way. But here's what we are going to do. Hearing that how we live and choose to spend our money and how we choose to save money, that empowers children because it shows them that we have money and how we choose to use it is going to be the difference between 
good and sad. Okay. It's maybe such a small nuance, but it makes such a big difference. And the secret to it is no matter how poor you might feel, how little you have when it comes to money, the secret is allowing children and also forcing them, requiring children to grow up making their own independent financial decisions. That is amazing. And you can't believe how this works for children and gives them empowerment and confidence and also turns them into great money managers before they even leave home. But my my contention is that if you have children that do not come for free, there's no way in the world, especially in our country, that you can raise a child from birth to 18 years old and not spend any money. They cost money. Some of it is in the form of shelter and food. Others, others in the form of clothes, toys, a summer camp, enrichment things. Children go to school. They need school supplies, all of that kind of thing. And so I'm going to wrap this up in a nutshell. But, but in essence, when a child becomes age appropriate, and that's different for all children, I would say from the time a child gets a case of the gimmies, give me this, give me that, give me that, I want that. And it, it happens so quickly is that, that they realize that costs money, that has a, a price tag on it. And here's how you get this. You have to save up the money. And so even at a very young age, many people call it an allowance, which is fine. We can call it that. Other people, uh, our family chose it to call it something else. We called it a salary. We taught our boys about, <laughs> about earning money about being part of the community and they were part of the family, the community. And so, but we actually turned over a portion of our family income, which could be defined as 25 cents. It could be because that's part of the income that comes into our family that it was put into their possession and they were given the opportunity to make the decision for how that money would be spent. Now it's a long story. They had responsibility lists because there were things that mommy and daddy would no longer pay for that they were given the choice. If they wanted that special treat, they would have to pay for it with their money they'd been given to manage. Well, I can tell you something. This plan can turn kids into frugalistas overnight (laughs) and they don't even realize what's happening because they love the fact that they're able to make their own personal, independent financial decisions. All, of course, within the guidelines and the rules and the values of our family. But it's a way that children can get on board with getting a handle on family expenses and they don't even realize what's happening. I'm Billy Branham. This is Closer Look, talking with best-selling author Mary Hunt about families living on one single income. What about saving for college? Can parents do that on a fixed income? Is that even possible? I, I guess the answer would be no, but I want I want to say that I have kind of a different take completely on higher education. I'm not certain that parents always, I don't think they're required to pay for it. I think that one thing that parents in this country have done to their own peril and to their kids' peril as well is to hand them a college education paid for on a silver platter with parents going deeply into debt, with parents cleaning out the equity of their home. I think that they're making a big, huge mistake. For kids to go off to school without having any skin in the game, uh, and I'm not talking about student loans. When a kid signs a student loan, they don't have skin in the game. Uh, they might have their future destroyed, but at the moment, they don't look at it that way. It's a matter of entitlement, and I think ugly attitudes of entitlement in children are bad, but they're even worse in college students who believe and demand that their parents pay for them to go to school of their choice. 
I think that there are so many alternatives. There are things that parents should look at. If you don't have any money to send your kid to school, the worst thing you can do is to is to sign up on plus loans, student loans, personal loans, in order to make that delightful experience available to your student who goes for two years, drops out, leaves you holding the bag, or they finish four years with $200,000 in debt, which I see all the time, and they can kiss their future goodbye. They'll never be able to pay that back, and it's never going away. So unless unless a family is in a position to pay cash, I would want them to really think more deeply about what in the world they're doing here. Student loans and all of that are really tough. You know, sometimes age 18 is not a good age to make a decision for what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is one reason I think that so many people have have student loans that they can't pay for. They got them. They didn't finish the, the course of study. They didn't come out with a degree. And now they're stuck with the, with the expense of it all. Other options are to go to a community college. Students uh, in most states, most areas, some areas, can live at home still, go to community college, carry a job, work for it, and pay their way through community college. It's possible, people. It doesn't re- it doesn't include sorority homes and it doesn't include living on campus and and having the party life and having all of the college experience, perhaps. But I don't know. Sometimes that's overrated, and kids need to realize that 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 comes with a very high price tag. And when we don't have that money, uh, we don't choose to spend our money in order to try to fake it that we have it, going into debt and all of that kind of thing. I think that there's something to be said for a student coming out of high school to go to work for a while and be required to save that money. If he or she wants to go to college, great. Let's put in the hard, hard work to do that now. Let's save the money. And once we have money in hand, we'll be able to decide how that education is going to come about. There are still companies that have a very, very generous education opportunity for their employees. And there are many corporations that once you're there for a year or two, that they have a program where they will pay, reimburse. You've got to actually go to school. You have to actually (laughs) complete the courses and they will reimburse all expenses. I would scout that out, find a way to get that to happen. It's hard. It's hard to do it without student loans. Student loans are probably the easiest way to earn a degree, but then to live a very, very long decades having to pay it all back. There are ways for parents and students who are determined to get an education without getting into debt. There are ways, there's still ways you can do it. Is there anything else, uh, last minute quick tips for families that are preparing to take on this new lifestyle of a one income earner? Yeah, I, I would say that maybe the hardest thing is going to be peer pressure. There's so many people who are deeply in debt that look really good. They live in a fancy house in a high-end neighborhood. They've got friends and family who who believe that they have far more than they have. And the idea of them scaling down might be something they're just not willing to, to deal with. But I would encourage you to look beyond that, the current years, and get started. Just, you know, take a few baby steps. Start talking about it. Just, just realize, too, that there's a whole world out there of frugal people. There are blogs. There are websites. There are books. There are all kinds of ways that you can learn uh, to live well and spend less. And that's what I love to help people do. And this has just been great fun and I hope helpful. 
to people who are looking towards the future and wanting to know what they can possibly do in order for them to live well uh, on a single income. It's, it's a great, great thing to consider. Well, thank you again, Mary. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I've, I've enjoyed this time with you. And thank you once again to my guest, best-selling and award-winning author, Mary Hunt, for discussing families living on a single income. You can read Mary's blog at everydaycheapskate.com. For Closer Look, I'm Billy Branham.